Good evening everybody, this is FPL Teacher speaking. After a month-long absence due to me and my family catching COVID. Now, things are better now and the season is over. So this podcast will serve as the start of a several-part series of the season review. Now, this is not only a journal of my own FPL journey this season, but it is also a log of decisions that were made, some good decisions that paid dividends, some bad decisions or risky decisions that had luck elements to their outcomes. So the idea here is to record a several part series, most likely in four parts, because the season in general could be divided into four parts. The first part being the part of the season where everything was normal between game weeks 1 to 8. And after game week 8, where everyone played their first wild card, you could see things take shape based on the postponement of games in mid-December. And then you had a third phase somewhere in late January where the games started getting rescheduled and you know the chaotic end to the season after all the double game weeks were dropped. So... This likely will be a four-part episode and I will basically go through this series in three parts. Firstly, what everyone did. What was everyone's plan A's in FPL? How everyone started with the season and how I did as well. Secondly, what choices everyone made as a popular pick. Then, of course, what happened and what lessons we learned from from game weeks 1 to 8. Okay, so without further ado, let us begin. The date was somewhere in May. England had just qualified for the final of Euro 2020, albeit the delayed version of it, and the hot property was not Trent Alexander-Arnold, but a certain 5.5 million defender called Luke Shaw. So, both... English defenders basically made the squads of everybody's teams to the extent that I believe Luke Shaw was was more highly owned than Mohamed Salah himself. So this set a stage for everyone to use these guys as the base alongside a 4.5 million goalkeeper, which I believe was Robert Sanchez from Brighton, to create a team that revolved around one to two premium midfield picks as well as some mid-price popular options up front. So from what I gathered in game week one based on a lot of season review websites as well as some uh, fantasy football scout research and digging and popular picks, the majority of the midfield consisted of Mohamed Salah and Bruno Fernandes because of Bruno's opening fixture against Leeds United as well as their fix as well as their history of absolutely smashing Leeds. And the template up front were popular mid-priced options between seven to eight million. Yes. So um I made a thread on Twitter comparing what happened in 2021 versus 21-22 in terms of pricing because 
FPL prices players differently according to what they see and what they predict will happen across the season. So in just to summarize, long story short, in 2021, there were a lot of 8 million as well as 6 million forwards in the game at the start of the 2021 season due to the emergence of teams like Leeds who had Patrick Bamford and you had a lot of these 6 million, 5.5 million forwards that shown throughout the season that represent a great value. Um, the thing about 2021 and 22 is that these forwards did not exist. And so what happened was that they took established promoted forwards like Timo Puki and they lumped them together with the existing mid-price bracket. And so you had this huge crowded 7 million pound space up front that consisted of really popular picks like Michael Antonio, Danny Ings, and even promoted striker Ivan Tony, who was priced at 6.5. So that was pretty much what everyone began with. The top three most popular forwards being Ings, Antonio, and Tony himself. <clears throat> now, um, due to the really popular fixture list, West Ham and Liverpool had a really good opening eight weeks. So a lot of people had Antonio and some Villa players like Danny Ings and um, Aaron Cresswell. <clears throat> um, a lot of scout picks also had triple Liverpool to begin with, notably because Andy Robertson himself suffered a short-term injury. So there was a big decision on whether you would include Costandos Simicas as part of your backline as a 4.0 base price defender. Now, at this stage, a lot of you, you would go one of two ways. Either you would start with Simicas at the back, which is a 4.0 midfield starting slot, go really, really cheap alongside Luke Shaw and TAA, and you would have a super midfield of Salah, Bruno, and another premium midfielder. Or you would start with a balanced squad at the back, maybe with a 5.0 or 4.5, like, like an Aaron Cresswell and such, so that you would have a balanced midfield as well. So however you started, you did well, because a lot of mid-priced midfielders that weren't Harvey Barnes, <clears throat> were, that they, they did decently well. You had midfield. You had midfielders in the six to seven million range, like Saeed Ben Rama, Bukayo Saka, all whom delivered excellently in the first three to four game weeks, um, and they continued to grow and in popularity among FPL teams. Okay, so fast forward four weeks, and Lukaku, Romelu Lukaku, and Cristiano Ronaldo entered the fray because. All of a sudden, the premium forward bracket had company alongside Harry Kane. Harry Kane had competition because he was still injured and Son had to carry the goal-scoring burden. And so people were in a dilemma in game week 4 itself just after the international break whether to take a leap of faith in Cristiano Ronaldo against Newcastle or to just stay put with their premium midfielders with Bruno Fernandes and the like. So that was a big question mark. 
and a lot of people profited off Ronaldo's early form. So at the same time, Chelsea had a huge fixture swing that turned green after a terrible opening few weeks, and a lot of people loaded up on Chelsea as well. But more on that later. Now, <clears throat> um, being the risk-taking, upside-favoring player that I was, I went for Simikas at the back. I started with that to afford a midfield that consisted of Salah, Bruno, and the midfielder that ruined my season in 2021, Hyung-min So with three premium midfielders, I went extremely light at the back and extremely light up front as an opening approach to the season. Now, this had two parts to why I did this instead of owning a mid-priced midfielder. Uh, but that I will explore in the next section. Okay, now moving on to my personal decisions, which I will summarize really, really quickly. What happened was that I decided to ignore mid-priced options like Mason Greenwood, Ismail Assar, teams that came up from promoted sides uh, in order to invest in midfielders such as Diogo Hota and later the out-of-position pick Brian Mbomo. So with a stable midfield, I used my free transfers to chop and change the forward line quite a bit. I had at one point, I sold Antonio really early to afford the likes of Huang from Wolves. Um, I had Dominic Calvert-Lewin at one point in my squad because of his return from injury. But that was basically the FPL landscape. A lot of uncertainty up run before game week four. And I was also late to the party getting Cristiano Ronaldo after his brace against Newcastle. So I think a lot of us had the uh, very, very similar dilemmas. And what happened was that in the process of this revolving door of forwards, because you know it was already really unstable at the beginning, the eye test prevailed where I got Huang's brace against Newcastle early. Um, and at the same time, I did get some returns from DCL, but he got injured so quickly that I had to switch him out. There were some transfers made as well where I saved money turning Simikas, who rose to 4.2 million, I believe. And I swapped him out for Livermento, who was a 4.0 million starter. So game weeks 1 to 8 were basically a lot of managers hopping on to Livermento as the 4.0 million value defender from, you know, anybody. Because there, were, there weren't many other options besides maybe a couple of Norwich guys. And so that set the stage for the existing dilemma in game week five onwards where people were always deciding do you keep Mikel Antonio or do you sell him for a premium forward okay so at this stage um what happened was that I was fortunate enough um to 
hold on to Sun for most of his returns, but I sold him for Brian Mbomo because of his out-of-position potential. Part of this was also motivated by the fact that I had to sell Ivan Tony because he had looked extremely good in the opening three games where he had some attacking potential, where he was really involved in attacks, but his teammates were the ones that were scoring more heavily. Most notably was the game where Brentford outplayed Wolves 2-0 just by playing direct football. So Ivan Tony was the guy who drew all these defenders next to him and Mbomo was the one that was within the chances as well as you know other teammates like Janelle, Wisa and so on. So what we learned here um, was that a lot of the midfield, mid-price bracket. Saim Benrama continued to score. Mason Greenwood continued to score. Ismail Assar, Rafinha, especially. Oh gosh, Rafinha. Um, there were a lot of these mid-price midfielders that came to prominence. And a lot of people had a lot of decisions to make in midfield. Whereas I took a stable midfield approach to switch up the attackers, the forward line. So that was it, really. So, on to the lessons learned from Game Week 1 to Game Week 8. Lessons learned. So, out of all this chaos, what I'd like to bring forward into next season is, firstly, the positives. So, what I'm really grateful for is the fact that I stuck to my guns and decided to go with a plan that covered my weaknesses last season. If 2021 was about my love-hate relationship with Hyung Min Sun, I picked him in game week one for the 21-22 season without any hesitation. And I'm very grateful that I stuck with him throughout, even though I did sell him earlier in the end. A little, yeah, I saw him a little bit too early in the end. Having said that, the affordability was really difficult and I had to chop and change my squad quite a bit and invest in 4.0 defenders. I had two 4.0 defenders that allowed me this setup. But what saved me was the fact that I used the eye test in pre-season to identify gems like Saeed Benrama who I kept for the first four game weeks and I got the majority of his attacking points. So, people, if you have time to look at the, to use the eye test in pre-season, not to look for our position prospects, not to look for XG or stats because lineups are unpredictable in pre-season. What's more important is to look out for chemistry between players itself. That's what you really look for in pre-season. I recall that in one of West Ham's friendlies where Ben Rama played the number 10 position behind Antonio, a lot of people were were, were salivating over Antonio's potential, you know, elite finishing. But what was more important was that, um, I think it was Zofa from FBL Wire, he posted a gif on Twitter where the link-up play between Ben Rama and Antonio was like one-touch quality from centrally outside the box. They made all the way, they made their way all the way into the box. And that was just scintillating, you know, it's just one of those get me one of those um moments. 
the downside of it was that uh, this this also led to a lot of people buying Harvey Barnes. Although, admittedly, this was mostly fueled by the his numbers and his returns preseason. So, pros and cons. And the most important thing is that you have a backup plan in terms of who you would like to transition into. Okay. Now, um, time to focus on lost opportunities. The first part was, you know, <laughs> me missing out on the likes of Mason Greenwood. Obviously, I could have owned Greenwood, Saar, Rafinha over the likes of Sun in midfield in order to afford somebody bigger in defense as well as in offense, you know. Um, and w- because of this decision to go with a premium midfielder, the player that hurt me most in early season was actually Joel Cancelo because he started at 6 million and I did not manage to get him because of other priorities all the way until he rose to 6.5 million-ish somewhere in game week 10. So if you find an opportunity to pick up elite defense, especially from Man City, the way they're playing, do so as soon as you can because from what I recall, um, Imeric Laporte as well as Diaz were still competing for that second centre-back slot. And Cancelo had all these amazing playmaking abilities from right back at the time, which was certainly underrated. Um, so, yeah, if you see elite attacking output data from Man City, do hop on him early. especially. And um, conveniently... From what I recall, a lot of people actually transitioned out of Luke Shaw into Joe Cancelo. So this, in hindsight, was definitely a move that I could have done earlier. And I would advise like everyone, if you see an elite defender performing to that level, even if you already have a Trent Alexander-Arnold in defense, just go. Just go with it. Okay. Now, in terms of personal mistakes, I... Definitely regret investing in injury-prone players such as Dominic Calvert-Lewin because he had a suspected broken toe and yet we were all sweating over this mythical potential of Dominic Calvert-Lewin as an 8 million forward performing like an elite 12, 13 million forward. We all wanted that. We all craved that 13 million striker who was priced at 8 million, you know. Think players like Bamford, who also got injured, by the way. And yeah, it just never came because Danny Yings started well and he ended up a little bit underwhelming after game week three. His fixtures turned bad as well. And there was literally nobody else in the 8 million bracket. Well, Raul Jimenez was one, but we'll talk about that in the second part of the season review. So yeah, that would be the second (laughs) lesson. Do not invest in injury-prone players. Now, The third one, the most important one, I feel, is that if you can identify a mid-priced midfielder, not a mid-priced forward, because I think that's really easy to pick up. If you can identify a mid-priced midfielder that has form, you can disregard the fact that he plays for a weak or a bottom half team. So this is really the essence of FPL between game weeks one to eight. Finding that budget attacking midfielder so that you can afford a Ronaldo Afran, so that you can afford a Cancelo in, in defense. And this was one of the biggest macro mistakes that I made that cost me a Cancelo at the back. So 
um, with my persistence owning Son as well as Harvey Bun for a little bit, I missed out on picking up Rafinha at 6. I missed out on picking up Ismailia Sa at 5.5. And this basically shaped the way I made transfers because I dug really deep into the forward market. And for me, I transitioned out of Bruno Fernandes way too late because of this setup. Even though I owned a really good cheap attacking midfielder in Andros Townsend, and I did get some points from him, the decision of yeah fielding Townsend was a difficult one. So we'll talk about Everton later. And so now I'm going to summarize this podcast in a minute. Okay, so in summary, game weeks 1 to 8 was a really chaotic opening, especially since it can be divided into two parts between game weeks 1 to game weeks 4, as well as game weeks 5 to game weeks 8 due to the arrival of two premium strikers. So um, this definitely can be carried forward to next season where you can expect the international break to have many major high-profile signings from premium teams, especially now that Spurs are in the Champions League and such. So. What's also important to understand is that number one, identify your first budget attacker and stick with him. So even if this attacker exists in the form of Rafinha, Ivan Tony, if they have an established goal scoring record, stick with them because they will be an instrumental part of their team and owning them will basically put you in a position of good luck, which is crucial to having a good start to the season. Um, I made the mistake myself of not owning Ivan Tony for the mid part of this first part of the season and I sold him way too early and he I missed out on a lot of his points and a good example was me sticking to Saeed Bin Rama all the way to game weeks 8 which where I played my first wild card. So as such, trust your eye test by players while the data isn't completely available. Trust your eyes more than the data between game weeks 1 to 8. Because it would help you filter out traps such as Ronaldo after his brace against Newcastle. Yeah. So that will be all. I will see you in part 2 of the season review where postponements were the main theme. If you would like the full breakdown of my personal season with stats from FPL Optimize, FPL Review, as well as screenshots of my team and their setup, you can find them on my Patreon, which is in the profile of my Twitter page. So until next time, 